Wow, it's quiet. Do you swallow your masks? <laughs> we get your Bible out this morning. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read you verses 1 through 4 in just a minute here. I'm so encouraged to be able to be with you. I know there's folks that aren't here today because they don't know what to do with their children. We're trying to figure out the best way to handle children's ministry, but you're sure welcome to bring them into the sanctuary. Amen. They're part of the family. We're going to be in God's Word here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The title of the message is Getting Ready for What's to Come. Amen. Jesus is coming back. Amen. He said he would. He promised us. We don't know the time or the hour. We're not quite sure exactly when, but he's coming back, and we need to be prepared for that. This text here that the Holy Spirit put on my heart in 2 Thessalonians gives us a, a breakdown of what we can expect to happen before the Lord returns. And many talk about the prophetic signs that are being fulfilled. We're going to talk about the a little bit. But there's some precursors here to the coming and the return of Jesus. And we need to be ready. Amen. Now's the time to be living ready. Amen. Amen. Now's the time not to see how far away you can get from God and still be saved. It's time to see how close you can get to Jesus and look for his appearing. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you uh, for the Holy Spirit being with us and protecting us and keeping us, that we're here today, that we're healthy, and that we're covered with the blood of the Lamb, that you have been so good to us even in this time. Lord God, we have nothing but blessing to report. And so, Lord God, as the word goes forth, Holy Spirit, open it up to us. Help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Getting ready for what's to come, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. So the, the, the message is here that we should have uh, composure, we shouldn't be disturbed, and we shouldn't be deceived by those who say, you know, the coming Lord Jesus already came. There was many of that, false teachings, false prophets, false Christs back then. He says what? Don't let anyone deceive you, for it will not come, listen, unless the apostasy comes first. What is that? A great falling away. God willing, if we're back here in the next several weeks, we're going to cover some of what this means, the apostasy, the great falling away. Remember, we are in evangelism mode, and we believe God for revival, amen? But God promised not a revival before the coming, but the sign was that there would be a falling away. So the apostasy would come, and then what? The man of lawlessness, who's that? The Antichrist, he would reveal himself, and he would sit on the throne in the, in the temple and say that he's God and should be worshipped. So there's many components in there, but what I want to start with here is the fact that it says, don't be quickly shaken and in your composure, don't be disturbed, and don't let anyone deceive you. So let's talk about these things. Paul is giving instructions to believers here in 2 Thessalonians, and he's concerned with their mental and emotional state. How many can say that in this season, it's time to pay attention to your mental and emotional state? Amen. 
uh, emotions are easily frazzled at times. All of us have emotions, and all of us have a mental state that needs to be maintenanced. Now, these are things that Paul is addressing here. Why? Because to get ready for his coming, to live ready, we need to pay attention to those two things. This season in our world is a pretty stressful one right now. Maybe you don't realize all the stress you've been through. Some people handle stress very well and don't even realize they're being stressed. But this is a season that we've been through, and some of you are just looking at me like you're shell-shocked, <laughs> that it's been stressful, amen? And, and it's been emotional, and there's been a lot of questions, and there's been a lot of variables that we don't have the answers to. So it's a stressful season. Now, God has been good to us, and he sustained us, and he's kept us healthy, and, and he's done so many miracles for us. It's amazing, but it's a time that we haven't seen before of pandemic, of political and civil unrest. And to some degree, all of us have been stressed emotionally and mentally, and it's just inescapable. Now, I I believe while this has been uncomfortable, it's been both a good thing and a God thing. Did you hear me? Sometimes just because life's not comfortable doesn't mean it's not God. There are baby Christians who anytime they're uncomfortable, they think it's the devil. No, sometimes God turns the heat up on us. And I don't know about you, but you look at what's going on and you go, well, this is just unprecedented and it's all the devil. No, it's part of history, amen? And history is his story. God is in control of everything that's going on right now. Come on, people of God. I don't hear you this morning. I said God is in control of everything. God's not up in heaven calling an emergency board meeting, getting the troops together and going, we got to launch a counterattack because we're just surprised that we don't have control. No. He's in complete control. That little song we sung as children, he's got the whole world in his hands. Simple faith. Yep, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's in control. So it's been a good thing and a God thing. And it's for the believer and the unbeliever. This time for the believer has been a moment of pause. I don't know about you, but in the initial stages when we were stripped away of so many things, it was a moment of pause. You know in Psalms where it says, Selah? You know, Selah is a pause, amen? Uh, they, they used to think that was either dead silent or is a musical interlude. You know, the Psalms are songs. And so it's been a time of pause for us. It's been a time of Selah. What should the believer have been doing in that time of pause? Each of us, number one, should have been looking at the depth of our commitment to Christ. Amen? It was, when God strips everything away and all we're left with is Jesus, do we have enough relationship with Jesus to sustain us through any crisis? Come on. It's, I hope that in this season you've been examining your relationship with Christ. How close are you to him? How committed are you to him? Number two, we should examine our allegiance to the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of this world, and there is the kingdom of God. And you can only be actively participating in one kingdom. Hello. Are we kingdom people, or are we worldly people? It's time to examine that in the midst of this Selah. The way we've been living our lives, the way we've been investing our time, the way we spend our days, all of this for the believer in this moment, it's a good opportunity to take a spiritual inventory of our lives. If you haven't done that, please get alone with God. Turn off your phone, turn off your TV, close the door, hide someplace. I don't care where you gotta go and speak to him and get right with him and let the Holy Spirit show you where you're at. For the unbeliever, this has been a wake-up call 
to see the kingdoms of this world be shaken, to see uh, the monetary system and the, the jobs just shut down, jobs that paid paychecks for decades, and all of a sudden things just shut down, and the unbeliever has to look around and go, wow, uh, what am I leaning on? What am I standing on? What am I trusting in? To, the wake-up call is what? That the emptiness and the vanity of a life without God is something that each person must think about. In this moment of pause, what, what is it there, that the unbeliever has to say, there's an empty spot in my heart. There's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every man that says, I need God. For the unbeliever, it's been a time and an opportunity to look past the human solutions and the human institutions and although science is something that is powerful and from God, you, you can't build your life on science. What happens when the scientists don't know? What happens when the scientists are wrong? What happens when everything they tell you is wrong? Come on. See that foundation being shaken is good for an unbeliever to let them see that there has to be more than human solutions. The, the foundations being shaken is good for the believer. Am I on the rock? Am I in Christ? Am I walking closely with my Lord? It's a good thing, and it's a God thing. It's a wake-up call. Now, if you're born again and you're filled with the Spirit, even if you're a baby Christian, you know that something significant is going on in the spiritual realm. You can just feel it. Amen? And the pieces of the prophetic puzzle, they've been falling into place subtly and not so subtly. And we see things coming in line and we, we look for the coming of Christ. And here our text is telling us there are some signs that we need to look for. In verse 2, Paul gives three instructions to every believer who feels the heat being turned up and wants to stay connected to Jesus. The first instruction is this. Do not be quickly shaken from your composure. Do you get that? Do not be quickly shaken. This is the first instruction. There are some people that they are so easily shaken that they are so easily, you know, knocked off their mental state that all you have to do is just go, boom, and they come unglued. And it's just amazing that when we don't have a solid mental state, we can be easily shaken, then we can be manipulated, then we can lose our faith. The first instruction Paul is giving us here is when the heats turn up, don't be quickly shaken from your composure. Now listen, a Christian should be mentally stable. Look around. You're not listening. Look around. How does everybody look? Mentally stable. A Christian should not be easily shaken. A Christian should be the most stable person on the planet. Why? Because we trust in God. Because we know our God. Because we hear God. Now, if you don't trust God and you don't pray and you don't hear God and you're in the dark, then you're easily shaken. But as a Christian, that's not a picture of a Christian. A Christian should be solid mentally and not easily shaken. Now, if a Christian is mentally unstable, here's the top three reasons that they are. Number one, not enough of God's word. Show me a Christian who doesn't read the Bible daily, and I'll show you a Christian that can be shaken. Because if you're not getting a, a full su supply of this, listen, we, we got to treat our spirit as good as we treat our flesh. Ain't none of us missing meals. 
Hello, even in pandemic, even when there's no chicken left at the grocery store. Come on, we found something to stuff down our face. Most of us, most of us came out of hibernation looking like a bear that just was going into hibernation. You're supposed to get skinny and come out. No, that's not what came out. But if we fed our spirits as good as we fed our flesh, boy, we would be spiritually sound and we wouldn't be easily shaken. But show me a Christian who doesn't read the, the word of God and I'll show you a Christian that can be shaken. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture, say all scripture. That's Old Testament, New Testament, everything in between, Genesis to Revelation. All scripture is God-breathed. Look, a man didn't write this. Uh, the apostles didn't write this. This is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is not man's teaching. This is God's teaching. And if you don't believe me, I dare you to apply it to your life and see if it's more powerful than anything that a man could write. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need the word of God every day. Amen. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is and that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. What transforms a mind? The only thing that transforms our mind from the old way of thinking to the way God would have us think is the word of God. Amen. We got to get this in our minds. We got to get it in here so it can drop down into here and then it can come out in our hands and feet by the way we live. Show me a Christian that doesn't read the word and I'll show you a Christian that's easily shaken. Psalm 119, 10 through 11. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, the Christian who's not filled with the word can be deceived into thinking it's okay to sin. But the more of this that you get into your life, the more time you spend in scripture, the less you're gonna wanna have to do with sin. It's easy to sin when we're empty of the word. But when we're full of the word, we don't want anything to do with sin. So the first thing that we need to understand about being quickly shaken is we shouldn't be. And if we're not going to be quickly shaken, we need to be in the word. Number two, a Christian that is easily shaken not only doesn't have enough of the word, they don't have enough prayer. You're thinking, Pastor, we haven't been in the building for months. And you, the first time we're back in here, you're going to tell us something as basic as we need to read the Bible and pray? Yes. Welcome to Full Gospel Center. We need to read the Bible and pray. It's the basics. It's the basics. Sometimes we think, well, I've done all that, and I, I don't need to do the basics anymore. You never graduate from the basics. This prayer connection that we have is our lifeline to God. We need to think of ourselves as a deep sea underwater diver. You know what those guys have, the hose that goes all the way up to, where does the hose go? To the air supply. No air supply. You're dead down there. We're dead down here if we're not connected up there. Come on. So not enough prayer will allow us to be shaken. People who can hear God speak are not easily shaken. People who hear God speak are not easily deceived by competing voices. An insufficient prayer life greatly increases our ability to be shaken. Prayer connects us to God. It builds intimacy with God. It allows us to hear God and allows us to be heard by God. Did you hear that? 
There's a mutual exchange in prayer. God speaks to us and we hear him. And then when we share our heart with God, he hears us. How many like to be heard when you talk? Amen. If you're married, the most annoying thing is when your spouse is not listening to you. Amen. Just look straight ahead right now. Just don't start a fight on the way home. But when you're talking, my wife and I have this thing. We have to get each other's attention before we start on, you know, like a two-hour monologue. You have to get, ladies, two-hour monologue. You, before, you got to get their attention. You know, like stand in front of the TV and say. But to be heard is a beautiful thing. You say, well, how do you get heard by God? You learn to hear God. You stay in prayer. You stay connected to God. Our prayer lives are something that need to be constantly maintained. Prayer is not like, well, you know, I did it when I was a young Christian. I got really good at it. You know, I got a black belt in prayer, so I don't need to practice much anymore. No, you always have to maintain your prayer life. The early African converts that were coming to Christ, they were really passionate about prayer, and they would have their own individual prayer and devotion times. In one village, uh, there was a spot where they would have paths that would cut through the jungles, and these paths over time got worn down because every day they would go to their own little individual spot away from one another and share their hearts with God. There were times where believers would see that somebody's prayer path had the grass growing on it, and they would gently remind that person, the grass grows on your path. You see, when the path was worn down, there was constant fellowship and communion, but when the person stopped praying, the grass began to grow. And I want to ask you today, is there grass on your path? Is your path worn down? Are you spending time at his feet alone with him? Is prayer something you do on a daily basis? Is there grass on your path? Are there weeds? Are there trees? Do you need a Holy Ghost bulldozer to make a new path? <laughs> Whatever the situation is, cut that path and get back to the secret place and get in the place of prayer. Now's not the time to be prayerless. And now I'm not talking about these little Mickey Mouse baby, baby Christian prayers. Bless me and bless it and blah, da, da, da. Ga, ga, goo, ga. I mean, I guess it's better than nothing. But if we're spiritually mature, we need to learn to intercede and to pray and to tarry and sometimes just to sit and wait and listen. Throw your phone out. Throw your watch away. Get alone. Forget about time. Get in his presence. Show me a Christian who doesn't pray enough, and I'll show you a Christian that's easily shaken. Number three, not enough of the word, not enough prayer, and not enough faith. If we don't have enough faith, we'll be easily shaken. You say, well, you know, how am I supposed to, you know, what about faith? How do I get that? Faith's like a muscle. You have to develop it. God gives every one of us a measure of faith, but we have to increase it. It's like our genetic potential. M most of us never unlock our genetic potential because we don't work out and discipline ourselves hard enough and give ourselves the right nutrition to reach our genetic potential. Now it's really quiet. I mentioned what we're eating and what we're not doing. And, well, the gyms are closed. Run around, run around your house. <laughs> Spit the cake out and run somewheres. <laughs> not enough faith. Faith's like a muscle. We've got to develop it. 
How's your faith? You know, many times my body gets exhausted, my mind gets exhausted, but my faith doesn't waver, and I'm trusting yours doesn't either. I'm convinced that Jesus is the only way. He's my only hope. He's what I need. He needs to be number one in my life. I'm convinced, and I know you are too, that God's word is true, that the apostles' doctrine is true, that the gospel is true, that salvation is a free gift from God received by faith and not by works. We know all these doctrines, but there are times where our faith is tested and there are moments where it wavers. Doubt and unbelief are faith killers. Listen to James 1, 5 through 8. James says this, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, he's unstable in all his ways. Wow. You see, doubt and unbelief are faith killers. What does the enemy try and shower us with? Doubt and unbelief. You watch the news all day. You look at your news feed all day. You listen to, you know, social media all day. And you get covered with an avalanche of things that will create doubt and unbelief. You couple that with a lack of the word and a lack of prayer. And I'll show you a Christian that can easily be shaken. We need to strengthen our faith. We need to cut out the input from the world and have the input of the Holy Spirit so that our faith becomes strong. We need to drive doubt and unbelief far away from us. Don't be double-minded. Don't stand with one foot in the world and one foot in the word. Sell out 100% to Jesus. It's not time to be on the fence. So a Christian shouldn't easily be shaken. But if we're not praying and we're not in the scripture every day and we're not developing our faith, there's the possibility that we can be shaken. And the first thing that we need to get in order and looking for his coming is the fact that, you know what, you and I should be mentally stable. And we should be those who are maintaining a, a spiritual stability so that we are not quickly shaken. Paul continues here. He says, you know what? Don't be quickly shaken from your composure. And he says, or be disturbed by a spirit or a message or by letters from us in the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So he's talking to them because there were false Christs and there were false prophets. And people would say, oh, the Lord returned already or the Lord's returning here. Or some people would say, I am Jesus here. I am. No. And he's saying, don't be deceived by that. And, and, you know, don't come to the place where you're disturbed by these things. Now, if you've ever met someone who's disturbed, it sometimes can take a little while, but when you figure out, oh, this one's a few sandwiches short of a picnic. <laughs> if you've ever been around disturbed people, amen, they're just not quite right. Not that it shouldn't be the testimony of a Christian, Amen. We should be mentally solid, and when it comes to being disturbed, you know, we should be emotionally solid. A disturbed person is not emotionally solid, amen? They don't have their emotions in, in check. And for a Christian, we're allowed to have emotions because God gave them to us, but we're not allowed to be so emotional that we are disturbed, on Wednesday when I was preaching, you know, uh, Paul was, and I'm going through the book of Acts. If you weren't here on Wednesday, you can't be saved. It's too late. But, uh, you know, 
uh, I don't know where you were, but you should come on Wednesday. I was preaching, and the people were crying, oh, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you there. And the prophets confirmed you. They're going to bind you up, and there's going to be tribulation. And the, the people are crying, and Paul's like, what are you doing breaking my heart? You know, basically, he was saying, you're being emotional, but I'm not going to allow that to deter me from doing God's will. Sometimes emotionalism can be manipulative. And people who are manipulators love to use emotions against you. You and I need to be solid enough theologically and, you know, emotionally that when people try and manipulate us, it doesn't work. <laughs> Our emotions are something that need to be kept in check so we don't become disturbed. When a Christian is disturbed, they will invariably struggle with these two things. Number one is this. Christians that are disturbed always struggle with overthinking things. Overthink. Now, in first service, I was like saying, where are all my overthinkers? But I'm not going to get you to raise your hands in this service. But if you're an overthinker, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you're, you're systematic and you're analytical and you got to check off all the boxes and you need to know all the answers and you need to have a pro. You know, you're the type of person you make the pros and cons list. You know, you got the sheet of paper with the line down the middle and this is good and this is bad and which list. But God said, do it. I know, but I'm making a list and I'm going to. So people who are disturbed, Christians who are disturbed, have a propensity to overthink things. Now, overthinkers drive themselves emotionally crazy by just pouring over the whys and the what-ifs of life. Why? Why? What if this happens? What? All the variables. I got to run it. I got to make an algorithm. I got to have a computer. Pro I got to figure out all the outcomes. No, you're going to drive yourself crazy, and you're going to be disturbed, and you're disturbing the rest of us. Sometimes the whys and the what-ifs of life are not going to be answered. Why did this happen? And why did that happen? Why did I have to go through this? And why did I have why, why, why? And sometimes we're not going to know the answer to those things until we go to heaven. And I know you don't like that answer, but that's just the truth. Do ask God the questions of your heart. You know, if you've got a question on your heart, bring it before the Lord. Ask him, what, uh, well, it's a little, I don't know about this question, maybe. You know, just bring it before the Lord. And just because, you know, we, you know, bring it before the Lord. And just because we come up with a good question, I want to say this, doesn't mean God has to answer it. Oh, God, I've been studying the book of Revelation. I got a good question for you. And, how, and what is this going to happen? And what's the timing? And who's the person? And what's the Antichrist's name? And when is Jesus coming back? And God says, that's a good question. I like that. Here's your answer. None of your business. And all the religious people are going, mm. <laughs> sometimes the answer is none of your business. Some things in the kingdom of God are on a need-to-know basis. Look, even just in my little ministry here as a pastor, if God would have told me everything that I was going to go through just to be here today, I would have sold shoes. <laughs> Can I still be saved? Can I get... No. The whys and the what-ifs don't always get answered. Sometimes the question is it's not your concern. Uh, the kingdom of God, there are things that are on a need-to-know basis. You know, the Bible says that only the Father has kept for himself the time of the coming. Not even the Son knows. So if there's things that the Father can keep to himself that not even Jesus and the angels know, just because you and I came up with a good question doesn't mean God's obligated to answer. 
It's a need to know. Acts 1, 6 through 7. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him. Now here's Jesus, you know, he's, he's doing all this stuff, rising from the dead. You know, he's the Messiah. This is what the, the apostles, the disciples want to know. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So what these guys were hoping for was the Messiah that the Jews really wanted, someone to liberate them from the Romans, someone to put Israel back on the map, someone to elevate the Jewish people from slavery into leadership again. So Lord, uh, is it time? Are you going to restore? And Jesus basically tells them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that have been put in the Father's hands. So Jesus says, good question. None of your business. It's not for you to know. Now, if you are an overthinker, you're going to have a real hard time when you can't know the answer. And the thing is, you know, we have to learn to trust and obey God. God never asked us or tasked us to figure it all out. He just said, trust me. Are you catching this? God didn't say, you know, you got to figure it all out, Rick, and you, you know, you can't, you know, if you don't know all the answers, you don't pour through the scriptures, you don't pray for 23 hours a day, you're not going to know, but you got to figure it all out. That's your job. God never told us to figure it all out. He just said, trust me. You know, when a little child puts their hand in their dad's hand and they cross the road, I remember as a little guy in, in, the, in the Bronx, in the city, when we would cross the street, I remember being so little and everything seemed so big and there's honking and there's beeping and there's people driving and there's trucks and we're crossing the street. I would just put my hand in my dad's hand and we would cross the street. I never once pulled him back and said, Father, did you see that there's oncoming traffic? Did you look both ways, Dad? God, Dad, did you notice this guy doesn't look sober over here? This, this happens in the Bronx. You know, there's trucks weaving. And uh, no, I just put my hand in his hand, and I went across the street, and I made it every time. <laughs> Good job, Fred. <laughs> and we need to treat Father God just the same way. Just put your hand in his hand and trust him. I don't need to know why. I don't need to know what if. I don't need to have, oh, you know, well, God, you know, have you considered this? No, just put your hand in his hand and go. You can trust him. If you have a propensity to be an overthinker, replace that with faith and just learn to trust and obey. Oh, what a relaxing thing it's going to be for you when you don't have to sweat the details anymore. But if you're an overthinker, you can be disturbed as a Christian. Show me a Christian that needs to know the whys and the what ifs, and I'll show you a Christian that's gonna be disturbed. N number two, the second part of this point here about you know us being disturbed is the, the disturbed Christian is gonna be an overthinker, and number two, they're gonna deal with this, and I'll close with this point. They're gonna deal with a spirit of fear. Many times, we become emotionally unglued because fear has taken a grip upon our soul. It's chased faith out, and now we just come apart. And the Christian who is not emotionally stable, who's not, you know, uh, in the place where their mental state is good and they're disturbed, they, they're going to deal with a spirit of fear. All of us deal with fear. I've been serving the Lord a long time. Some of you have been serving the Lord a long time here. But the truth is, if we're being honest, we're going to say that there's moments where all of us are afraid. And that's why, because we don't know the variables. And we don't know the whys and the what ifs. And there's a lot of variables. God, what if this happens? God, what if that's... And many times as you get more spiritually mature, you're not even afraid for yourself. You're afraid for the people who depend on you. 
<laughs> I'm not afraid for me. Look, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When I die, it's going to be, you know, cha-ching. It's going to be, the time. it's gain for me. Now, if, you, if, if, if when you die, it's a time of loss, you're not living right, okay? So I'm not afraid for me a lot of times. I'm afraid for the people who depend on me. I'm afraid for my family. I'm afraid for my wife and my son. I'm afraid for you. Are you going to be okay? You see this in Paul. You know, he, he knew he, he was going to be martyred, but he was so concerned about the churches that he was going to leave behind. So we're all going to deal with fear in some way. Now, fear is a human emotion, but it's not just a human emotion. Fear is also a spirit, and it's a demonic spirit. Second Timothy tells us plainly that God has not given us what? A spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is not from God, it's from the enemy. The enemy loves to use fear because it is the greatest weapon he has against faith. Fear destroys faith. And so he uses that weapon liberally to attack our faith. Second Timothy says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? Amen. I like the last part for this point, a sound mind. I'm not coming emotionally unglued. I'm not coming mentally unglued. Why? Because God has not given me that spirit. I'm not given over to confusion and to chaos and to disorder and, and to all of these things because God has not given me that spirit. Why would we choose to be controlled by a spirit that defies the Holy Spirit when God has not given us fear, but he's given us the Holy Spirit? You and I need to categorically reject fear in our lives. Not that we, have, we don't ever feel the emotion of it, but we don't allow it to take grip on our souls. FDR said in his inaugural speech, he made this statement, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Great statement, isn't it? impregnated in that statement is a true principle of this and what he was skillfully articulating is that the crippling effects of fear are a far more devastating enemy than any will ever face because if the enemy can make us afraid we'll walk away from the truth we'll walk away from god we'll quit on ourselves we'll quit on our destiny we'll turn on each other these are the things we're going to see in the last days this is what the bible says is coming are we ready well, we're not going to be ready unless we strike a death blow to the spirit of fear over our lives. Listen, if you and I are, are belong to Jesus, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're walking right with him, we have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to be afraid of. The worst that man can do is kill the body. And you think, oh, I don't want to die. I get it. There's a part of us that, you know, wants to live hang on to these bodies. I don't know what we're hanging on to. But the thing is, what does that accomplish if my body's killed? All that does is send me to eternity with Jesus in heaven forever. <laughs> How do I lose? To live is Christ and to die is gain. If this body is destroyed, I go to be with Jesus for eternity and so do you. I'm not afraid of that. It's quiet now. I think some people still want to live in here. Reject fear, rebel against fear, refuse those who try to put fear on you. Man can do nothing but kill the body, but God has given us the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. 
So a spirit of fear is something that we have to deal with if we don't want to be disturbed as a Christian. Overthinking is something we have to deal with if we don't want to be disturbed as a Christian. Show me a disturbed Christian, and I'll show you an overthinker who's bound in fear. But God, deliver us from such things so that we can be the children of God and walk in faith with power, love, and a sound mind. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Give him praise. Hallelujah. So in getting ready for what's to come, we're going to talk next week, God willing, if we're together, we're going to talk about don't be deceived. And it says that, you know, don't be deceived. Being deceived is a matter of choice in some ways, especially when we have the connection to the Holy Spirit that we have. But we're going to talk about deception. And what it says here is don't let anyone deceive you. It will not come. What? The end, the return of Christ. Until what? The apostasy. So we're going to have to talk about the great falling away that the Bible promised us will, will come. Yeah, there are going to be revivals. Yeah, there are going to be salvations. Yeah, there are going to be all of that. But there's going to also be a great falling away because the word says so. And then Jesus will come when? When the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, reveals himself. So let's be prepared for his coming by being, having biblically accurate expectations. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you today that we're together. We thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we're learning how to be mentally and emotionally solid in this time, that no matter what comes, Lord God, if we'll stay in the word and in prayer, and if we'll build our faith, if we'll not be those who need to know all the answers before we're obedient, and if we'll drive away fear from us, Lord, we'll be spiritually solid and ready for your coming. Help us to know what the scripture says so that we are prepared. So we'll be like the five wise versions with oil in our lamps. And we won't miss the coming of the bridegroom. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise. Hallelujah.